Hello, everyone. My guest today is a digital leader from a multi-billion dollar manufacturer of hardware and intelligent devices. We know the brand popularly as Toshiba. Alan Wooster is the VP and CIO at Toshiba International Corporation. We cover topics from cybersecurity to DEI initiatives. Alan, welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Thanks, David. Really great to be here. Great. Uh, Alan, for the benefit of our uh, listeners, could you please uh, give us a little bit about your background and what's your roles and res- what are your roles and responsibilities at uh, Toshiba as the CIO? Yeah, thanks, David. So uh, good to be here. I am uh, the chief information officer for the industrials division of uh, Toshiba in uh, located in Houston, Texas. Uh, so we we have uh, some other sister companies. Um, what we are responsible for is manufacturing or selling industrial products into the U.S. Uh, marketplace. So um, that's the current role I've got is to support uh, all the information technology function, uh, assist and lead certain digital efforts, and certainly communicate with all the business units to make sure that their IT needs are met uh, and um, and. Uh, you know, just align IT as best as what we can with the business to to uh, continue down the path of being successful at Toshiba. Awesome. Well, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the changing needs of cybersecurity, right, with the new market conditions. You've been a big proponent of cybersecurity. Can you tell us what are some of the new cybersecurity things that you're seeing as the CIO? Yeah, so, um, and David, I'll preface this by saying my statements and observations are my own and not necessarily on behalf of Toshiba America or Toshiba uh, International Corporation. But uh, what I do know is that cybersecurity is certainly most likely the hottest topic across the board right now when it comes to boards and businesses, business units are talking about. Um, With the most uh, ransomware attacks, it's uh, top of mind everywhere. And so I think, you know, if you look across the spectrum of um, where there's a dilemma in hiring people, certainly it's reflective of that we are short uh, candidates in the cybersecurity market. Uh, and that's broadly, I mean, this is a global issue. We just don't have enough folks to uh, to really fill spots uh, that have the right uh uh, acumen for, for filling those types of roles just yet. So, I mean, it's, we're trying to catch up, but, um, it is, in my opinion, it's pinnacle. I, you know, I think, I think even in our personal lives, we're becoming more aware of the importance of, um, our personal security as it relates to cybersecurity. Uh, fact of the matter is you're very likely to be, uh, you know, your, your security is very likely to be compromised from a logical perspective, less so than a physical perspective. These are just changes that have happened over the course of the last 30, say 50 years. Uh, and I think people are really trying to catch up. So if you ask me what the number one uh, thing, you know, we have to do not just as a company, but as a society is to really educate everyone on how to become more secure in their, in their you know, logical life, if you will. So um, on is that, you know, what is the, the threat, the new sort of threats that we are seeing in cybersecurity? Um, you know, obviously, everybody's working remote. Uh, I'm curious, you know, with Toshiba 
and you know other leadership positions that you've had in the past uh you know what what are, are there are the is the landscape changing um you know what are what are some changes you're seeing in terms of the threats yeah so i think the landscape's changing because i you know there's no doubt so when i got out of school actually when i was teaching as part of the phd program at lsu most of the um most of the most of the things I would teach were very rudimentary in terms of Word, Excel, PowerPoint. You know, this is back in the '90s, and now uh, everybody knows how to use a computer, right? I think uh, I think that the we are in a in a unique situation right now because clearly because of the pandemic, and the the pandemic is a global issue, and and really what what's happened is people are at home, and when people are at home, I mean, we've seen spikes in in every platform that um that's been issued uh during this period right and so you know you have you have higher intellect in the in the space of technology now than you've ever had before and, and let's face it when you're when you're bored and you're at home and you're in a far, you know possibly a foreign land and your government is encouraging you to potentially hack somebody and might offer you some rewards for being successful in that nature i mean we we are in the pinnacle of being attacked and people have been educated on how to attack more than any time in 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 the history of uh you know of what we've experienced and so um yeah i i, I don't think this issue uh goes away the other piece of it obviously is just automation uh you've got bots out there that can can um you know take take advantage and get very sophisticated with 24 seven hacking without anyone really doing much, um, you know, and then if you think through, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a leap of faith here, but more and more and more technology, you know, we talk to it, you know, uh, it's as simple as that. So, so hacking becomes easier that way as well. You know, just think of it in the nature of hackers, pretty sophisticated key on keys on the keyboard kind of thing or social engineering. And now, uh, quite frankly, People could hack you verbally uh, over a device, and that's not been available for you know the last five years. So I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's just becoming more pervasive, and it's becoming much easier for people to try to do. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the bots too. Like as you know, uh, digital gets sophisticated. I think even the hacking and the spyware and the malware part gets sophistic equally sophisticated with better capabilities and things like that. So they can, you know, the, even the bots are kind of working hard to attack, right? So um, that's that's a great point. Uh, you know, as CIOs and C CISOs, uh, right? Um, what are uh, I mean, is you talked a little bit about the education side of it, right? Um, what are the, if you were to kind of talk about focus areas on how to address uh, th these threats, um, what would those be? Like, what are the different channels you would want to address this at what level? Yeah, I think <clears throat> the, um, you know, from a, from a technology perspective, obviously uh, we have rolled out more and more products that protect us at the edge. Uh, and um, I think that's critically important. Um, you need to stop an attack as soon as it's detected. It's a 24 by seven game. Uh, it's interesting that a lot of the monitoring still today, you know, and third parties offer something that's other than 24 by seven, which I, I don't quite understand because 
if your computer's plugged in, it doesn't matter whether you're awake or not, you know, you can be attacked at that point in time. And so, you know, I, I, I think we've, we've always been historically very good about protecting the central nervous system of our companies, you know, but now as we're rolling things out, more compute powers at the edge, there's more out there. I think, um, you know, in terms of educating the people internally, uh, it's also getting more sophisticated around um, their, um, their knowledge of what an attack looks like, you know, so we've become much more sophisticated with our fish, internal phishing campaigns. Uh, and that's, that's company-wide. If you want to get more, uh, you know, targeted by nature, like if you're looking at your, your senior leadership teams and things of that nature, uh, boards as well. I mean, you do have to go through, it's no different than historically what you would do for a business continuity plan. Uh, they, they don't work if you don't test them. You can put it all on paper, <clears throat> but if you don't go through a scenario when it actually happens, people still don't know, you know, what, what they need to do uh, because those scenarios have to include certain that, you know, kind of put you in this unexpected, oh, well, I didn't see that coming, right? Mm -hmm. So, so those scenarios have to be, to be rolled out as well. So if, if the companies are attacked in any way and, and you do have a compromise of ransomware or something other, operations coming down, intellectual property leaving the building, uh, you know, those types of scenarios have to be uh, pretty pretty well acted. So that way uh, people, people know how they're gonna deal with that stress and already have, you know, a predetermined way that they, they practiced in terms of how they need to act, who they need to communicate with. And, so that's that's relatively new. Um, the other, you know, the other big space right now that that um, you know that is is complicated, obviously, is cybersecurity insurance as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, protecting board members, protecting the company, protecting whomever that needs to be protected uh, by putting the right plan in place, uh, such that if you do have a compromise, you do have coverage. Because more times than not, you know, there are a lot of stipulations in those documents you know, as any insurance document would be that, that, uh, you know, if you don't read it in detail may not cover you. So those types of things really need uh, a lot of attention. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned business continuity too. Like it's almost like, I mean, yes, it's cost of doing business. Um, you know, I, you know, Toshiba's fair, you know, obviously have a budget for it. How do you, uh, you know, what would be your advice to a CIO who's trying to secure a budget for cybersecurity threats? You know, what, how, what's the best way for them to communicate to the board, do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I think we're at a point where there's enough examples. Uh, and it, it's, um, I think what boards need to understand is, you know, what we see in the marketplace uh, and what is out there is is just a fraction of really what's occurring. And what I mean by that is the things that go public, there's really, there's no, um, there was no way for that particular incident to, to uh, be sheltered because inevitably people, you know, companies aren't, aren't very uh, liberal about talking about compromises that they have. And so we're just seeing a fraction of that. So my, you know, my, my best advice is to use, um, you know, to use representative examples and there are examples in it. Yeah. Always good to use an example that is very comparable to what you do as an organization because it can happen to you. Uh, and it, um, it needs to be expressed to boards that there's no 100% uh, 
uh, protection from these types of attacks. The reality is if a nation state or, or a very sophisticated operator wants to get to you, inevitably, if they are targeting you, uh, they will get there, right? Yeah. And, 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 uh, and you'll have defenses to capture them, uh, but you are getting targeted. You know, I, yeah. there's, there's, there's no doubt about that. And so I think um, I would start with representative examples. My, my, you know, my overall arching thing is let's get the plans in place before something happens, right? Because yeah. what you don't want to be in a situation of, and there are representative examples of this, where a company did not sufficiently invest and they were compromised. And then the amount of money they had to put in on the back end for ridding themselves of the compromise and then putting things in place was exorbitantly more than if they had to made just the right investments in the get-go, right? And so that's yeah. that's a story that's told over and over again. And there there are so many examples of that. I mean, boards should understand that. Um, yeah. So that you know, that's that's my best recommendation in terms of okay, talk to a board. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, you've been a big proponent and you've been passionately speaking about blockchain as well. So can you break down? Um, some of the roles that blockchain has uh, in the security uh, world? Yeah, so, um, you know, to pivot a bit then, you know, I, I think uh, I think what we're, we're definitely starting to understand is, you know, again, as businesses and society is that um, security is a mechanism for really generating revenue at this point. Um, and why I say that, um, you know, the different, it's a different scenario between a um, an individual product that you know consumers are buying being compromised versus an industrial system, for instance, right? And mm -hmm. so the industrial space has been moving a bit um, more cautiously into this space, uh, and I think blockchain has a a big part to play. Um, you know, rightly wrongly, my opinion is. You know, if if blockchain weren't secure, I don't think the Bitcoin would be worth anything. Right. Uh, and and I think the fact that these crypto assets, you know, have uh, taken off and, you know, they will ebb and flow if ever compromised, you know, then they would cease to exist. It's just the fact, you know, so so blockchain, um, you know, in my in my mind is 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 the newest technology that really needs to be understood. Um, there's a lot of growth there. It's so new. And, and I think the, the dilemma right now is obviously the amount of energy it takes to run it, the amount of time it takes to transact. Um, but the, clearly the end game is, um, is having secure transactions at a, at, a, you know, at a cost that is a fraction of what you can do today in terms of having a transaction be made. Right. And so, so the, the distributed network does not work if not secure. And, you know, I think that's, that's the piece that really goes a bit misunderstood. I mean, we've always had centralization because, because securing a central asset is a lot easier historically, you know, than securing something that is, that is diverse by nature. And so I think blockchain has solved that. Uh, and I think it's a, it is the game changer and those companies, you know, in the next decade that can encompass uh, selling whatever it is that they sell and using uh, blockchain in, uh, in, in those transactions will win. You know, I think that they'll, they'll be able to drive a cost to the consumer that is more advantageous and, and uh, more applicable to the, 
to the price of the asset than what currently any of their competitors would be. So, so your what I understand is just by the very nature of security that blockchain has, and there is intrinsic value in that, and that actually translates to what can, can you break down what does that translate to perhaps an organization or an individual yeah well let's put it in terms of a product because we understand that sure. we sell products all the time you know Toshiba's selling products all the time most companies are selling products and and um and again because consumers are becoming more uh, educated on the the value behind the security uh you know buy something that's more secure, secure. Uh, it's you know it's it's um and i think the where where let's say you have a um you have a uh, you know an asset that that historically you were interested in speed right? You wanted it to be fast. Well, if it's fast and not secure, in today's market, you're less likely to go with that product than you would if it was just a little slower and more secure, right? It's, it's kind of, we've, we've made that uh, change. If you look in the, if you look in the consumer space, I mean, if you look at where we're heading with automotive, right? I mean, yeah. it's really scary when they start saying that, that, you know, if you're in a certain type of vehicle, that if it's hacked, then maybe the brakes don't work, right? Or, you know, then we, we kind of leapfrog into if um, if it's a self-driving vehicle and you want to go to point A to point B, right? Cybersecurity is is pinnacle in making sure that that happens, you know, and that you don't go off course because someone's hacking that car. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and then if you look at the amount of transactions, so if we get into kind of that self-driving vehicle scenario mm -hmm. where you go up to a car it's a self-driving vehicle. It's on the side of the road. But, you know, when you go into that transaction, you have a lot of transactions that need to be made in terms of the insurance that has to be purchased for the amount of space that you're driving from point A to point B, unlocking the vehicle, uh, putting the vehicle back, all those types of things. There's just so many transactions to be thought through. If that's where we're heading uh, in transit society or, you know, in transportation, and again, you know, the security is pinnacle for all those things happening, the transactions that need to take place and go to the different third parties that need to get paid, all of those things really do reside on, on a platform that, or has to reside on a platform that is secure by nature and that people trust, uh, you know. And so that just gets back to blockchain is a pretty good scenario for, um, for playing a part of what the future looks like. And I think people, are going to want that in order for them to buy it, um, yeah. you know. And again, I think people will 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 wait, um, uh, you know, and, and they're not going to invest anymore into things that may not be sure as what they can get. So yeah, d definitely, yeah. you're talking about security as a value driver. I mean, I can see not just in, I mean, automotive, obviously, we, we know where it's kind of headed with the self-driving cars and uh, other things that are capable of that, even at the mo as we speak, um, and even potentially financial products, and you know, even credit cards and institutions, right? Uh, that will have certain value in terms of having this interest, intrinsic nature of blockchain frameworks uh, security. Um, slightly changing um, from 
security and you know future of security those topics to more the people side of things um you know let's talk a little bit about uh DEI right diversity equi- equity and inclusion um talk to us about some of the initiatives that you like to lead uh you or you've led uh as uh as a champion of diversity yeah so you know the the beauty of the united states in general is the diversity of this country and i think sometimes we we forget how good we have it in this country um but when you're going to market and um you have any asset, device, service, whatever it might be that you want to sell. And I mean, we're now in a global marketplace uh, more than more than we ever have been. And it's only going to head in that direction. So, you know, foreseeably, you look at these platforms that are built out uh, that serve uh, not just a, a, you know, a single country or community. It serves basically. And so as you get people in the room to kind of discover how that platform or whatever is reacting very well in a specific space or in your community or in your country, you know, you want to have those conversations about, well, how is that going to work in a different country? You can't have those conversations uh, unless there's diversity in those conversations. And so I think it's pinnacle to the success of any company specifically that wants to have, um, you know, be multicultural by nature and sell its products or services into another market that succeed if it does not have a diverse team associated with what it's trying to do. Uh, and, you know, we have a, we, we're in this time right now where, you know, getting, getting, um, getting integration and getting diversity into our teams is actually a bit easier than it's been in the past because we have these, um, these technologies now in terms of Zoom. So it's much easier to, to uh, broaden your scope. And I think, you know, companies need to start thinking that way. Um, you know, it's, it's hard that we're not in person, but really this new technology has opened up some opportunities for companies, uh, to really succeed on the diversity path, uh, that hasn't been available before. Uh, and so I'm really enthusiastic about, you know, there's just going to be tremendous growth associated with companies that recognize how much more successful they're going to have from a diverse, you know, diverse thinking portfolio. Um, because, you know, what we can't do is we can't have teams leading marketing efforts that, uh, you know, that aren't, that aren't thinking, oh, well, when we go to market in this particular area, you know, how will they think about our product? How will they think about what we're trying to sell from a service? Um, you know, because we can put together what we can put together, what we think is best, but then when you start going to other markets, uh, it, it may just be, uh, not not really respected as well because it hasn't just been thought out for them. So that's, um, I think that's the nature. And I think, again, I get back to, uh, in terms of diversity of thinking, I think, you know, the U.S. uh, being the melting pot that it is, I think that's why you see a lot of the successful enterprises that go global uh, really come from the United States is because we have a good foundation. uh, And I think we need to continue to build on the positive nature of what we've built here can be better. absolutely comparable to a lot of other places. We're way ahead of the game, you know, and I think we need to take credit for that. Yeah. What are some recommendations you have, especially in that area, uh, in the DEI space, uh, to 
other CIOs out there, um, you know, if they want to practice that and bring that into their organization? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it def de definitely has to be communicated. And like I said before, I, I you know, we, we're on the technology side, so we can see kind of the value outside of, let's say, the normal, let's say, technical meetings that we have with our internal teams. And so to think outside the box mm -hmm. is a little difficult to do when your business leaders are just trying to lead their business day by day and get done what they need to be done. It's like we, we are absorbing this technology that's been taken in just recently so that we can communicate within our spaces. What I think is lost upon people is how much this opens up to you. You know, and David, I'll tell you, even you and I talking today, this wouldn't have happened, I think, even 18 months ago, because <laughs> it's possible we wouldn't have even met, you know. And so yeah. I think I think I think there's so much that we can do as organizations. And I think business leaders have to understand that this new, new technology that we've developed, it's been there. But but in terms of its its um, its evolvement over the past 12 months uh, has just been astronomically overwhelming and and just think through this you know because the technology is on the fly we are at a we're at a point where if you want to have these conversations and you want to have it in a different country the technology can even translate it for you right so as you're talking to someone in another country if they don't even understand your language they can talk their language and it can come through as your language over your pc right so this is, these are the types of things that need to be explained to businesses so they understand how they use the technology to get more diverse. It's, it's a lot easier than it's ever been. Well, Alan, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you for uh, coming on our Get In The Mode podcast today.